0: Up next is Safe Space. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, Reducing Stigma Through Courageous Conversations. Tonight is part of our series on yoga and healing, and we're going to be focusing on a particular form of yoga called Yoga Nidra and its use in the military. My guest is Richard Miller. Richard is a clinical psychologist, an author, a researcher, and a yogic scholar. He is the co-founder of the International Association of Yoga Therapy and is the founding president of the Integrative Restoration Institute that has developed and is researching an adaptation of this practice, this ancient meditation practice called Yoga Nidra, called iRest. And we're going to talk about what that is in a minute. But what I want you to know is that Richard is intimately involved with using Yoga Nidra to help with the health and healing of many diverse populations, including active duty soldiers, veterans, the homeless, the incarcerated, and people suffering from all kinds of difficulties, including sleep disorders, PTSD, chemical dependency, chronic pain, and traumatic brain injury. Richard is also the author of a book, Yoga Nidra, The Meditative Heart of Yoga, and I am delighted to welcome you, Richard, to Safe Space.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you.
0: So tell me a little bit, what is Yoga Nidra? How is it, how is it like yoga? How is it not?
1: I think it would be helpful for me to approach it from how I view yoga, which for me means uh, the path, the means but really our ability to feel and experience our interconnectedness both within ourselves and then with all of life so that we really feel that everything we're looking at and, and, and interacting with in some interesting way is an aspect of ourself we're all interconnected so yoga is that really deep body felt sense nidra is an interesting word it means sleep but actually in the context of yoga nidra, it means a state of consciousness, like sadness, happiness, uh, wakeful sleep, any kind of state that we might find ourselves in. So yoga nidra means to feel that deep sense of interconnectedness no matter what state we are experiencing. So that means we could be in a moment of sadness, depression, we could be in a moment of grief or joy, and it wouldn't interrupt that underlying feeling of our interconnectedness. That allows us to stay in relationship with whomever we're with, including ourselves, not close down, but stay open-hearted, even in the midst of great difficulty or challenging circumstances.
0: Well, that seems like a highly desirable capacity. I'd love to hear. Why don't you tell me, before we get into how Yoga Nidra does that, why don't you just kind of lay out a little bit, what would someone, if they came to Yoga Nidra class, what does it look like? What's included in it?
1: Sure. And, you know, uh, just as uh, further on, what it's really speaking to is developing within us a tremendous sense of well-being and resiliency that we're carrying moment to moment. So when a person comes in to our practice room or to our classes or workshops, we're taking them through a number of inquiries. One is to help them really get in touch with a basic intention that they have for doing the practice. And I would say even before that, uh, what are the deepest motivating principles in their life that are helping them find deep meaning and purpose so that they can carry that with them through the different aspects of their life so we help them get in touch with deep meaning deep purpose and then the kinds of daily intentions that they're engaging that are helping them to realize or access that deep sense of meaning or, or purpose and that could be changes in diet changes in lifestyle uh, doing the practice of i rest um, and then we help them develop an inner resource which is a place within them, and I think it is within all of us, but we often lose touch with it, where we feel very safe, grounded, secure, so that when we enter into a difficult circumstance, we can feel that deep sense core within us of a grounded security, because a lot of people that we're dealing with who've had trauma that's been interrupted and they feel a sense of hopelessness or groundlessness and we're helping them reestablish that. So
0: That's no small task that you're suggesting, Richard. I mean how how do you do that? So so and so you don't even have to have a trauma history to find that challenging possibly. How do you help someone we, find we that we
1: help them find it through uh, certain processes that we engage them in, we also try to help them access memory, a time when they did feel secure or when they feel grounded. How do they feel that in their body? Um, it's, it may for one person be a, a feeling in their legs when they feel in touch with, the, we might say, the ground. For another person, it might be in their belly. Um mm-hmm. Some people can't relate to the word safe, but they can find a place within where they feel secure, and we help them develop images of nature or of people that they've been with when they've been with them, they have felt a sense of security. So we use all sorts of processes, but basically we're helping them develop it within themselves so they can access it at a moment's notice. So if they start to get overwhelmed in life or as they're working with our process of i rest they can take they can go back to it like a timeout, and have a moment of rest and then come back to the to the practice or whatever circumstance they're experiencing and in helping them develop that then the further parts of our practice that we're engaging them in is body sensing so that they can have access to feedback from their body at a very um felt sense a very somatic felt sense in their body. We teach them breathing techniques that help them ground and that we know through research helps people develop a strong immune system, resiliency, and a sense of being in touch with themselves. We have a component where they're addressing emotions, so they're learning how to be comfortable with any kind of emotion and rather than being reactive, uh being responsive and with that particular emotion and their actions into the world. Then we have a cognitive piece where we're helping people understand the kinds of thoughts and beliefs that they might have gotten caught in in their lives and how to work with them so that they can overcome deep core negative beliefs that they might feel trapped in and, and get back to that sense of well-being. We also have a component where we help them spend time nourishing joy and pleasure into their body so that they can feel a good sense of joy and well-being that we want them to help understand that that's there even when they're in difficult circumstances, paradoxically. And then there's a piece where we help them understand, um, I would say, a more spacious quality of awareness being that accompanies them in any circumstance to differentiate between a changing emotion a changing thought a changing state of consciousness and themselves as the observer of that a quality of awareness that again accompanies them in every moment and as they spend time nourishing that can again bring forth this deep feeling of well-being which is really what we're after a deep core Feeling of well-being that people are able then to take into any circumstance or situation, trying to proactively help them integrate this into their daily life.
0: What I'm struck by listening to you, Richard. Is this sounds like everything a psychotherapist is trying to do? Um, but you're tr- you do it in about 30 to 40 minutes, right? Correct. It, all and that happens. In people
1: actually often say uh, when they go through their first I rest experience, if they've done therapy, they'll say that felt like 10 sessions of psychotherapy (laughs) it
0: sounds like it and meanwhile i mean something i think is quite important to explain is that unlike how we picture yoga which is people in leotards on mats moving around doing exercises yoga nidra in general is done lying down is that correct
1: we are actually teaching them initially lying down which gives people a sense of comfort and relaxation then we help them learn it sitting, then we help them learn it standing, and then we help them learn it walking around, and then we help them learn it doing it while they're on the computer, on the phone, talking to another person. So, again, we're we're trying to achieve a full integration that they're carrying into their life, so they're using the processes wherever they find themselves.
0: That is fascinating. I didn't know that, Richard. So, And that makes so much sense because... If I'm lying still in a quiet room, I might really be able to notice my breath, notice my sensation, be aware of how I'm feeling, notice the thoughts or, you know, the self talk running through my mind, because I'm not thinking about anything else and I have my eyes closed. But if I'm actually moving around and interacting and then to be kind of self, so self aware at the same time, that starts to get kind of challenging, but actually quite necessary, because that's how we actually live.
1: Exactly, and that's that word, uh, Nidra, which means a state of consciousness. So we're trying to teach people, no matter where they are, who they're with, what's the circumstance, on the phone, in the middle of combat, whether that means conflict at work or on the actual battlefield, they are staying in tune and in touch with themselves and having access to the information that is helping them respond rather than react.
0: So... It sounds, it sounds very powerful for anyone, but I know you have in particular pioneered the introduction of this yoga nidra or eye rest, as you call it, into the military. And I'd love to hear how you got that idea and what were the challenges? Because I, I think perhaps most of us thinking about the culture of yoga and the culture of the military they don't obviously go together well. So how did you think of it and what was it like to introduce it?
1: Well, it was a uh, one of those synchronistic moments, one of the people who's been working with us had been uh, invited into a, a Dean Ornish cardiac care program to teach some hatha yoga. And when she came in, she told the people that she had heard her back and she couldn't teach the hatha yoga that day. Could she do yoga nidra? And they said, yoga's yoga, Sure. And that day, a person was sitting in who was a researcher just looking at the class and saw the potential. They called me and asked if I would be interested in doing a piece of research on using Yoga Nidra to look at how it might impact post-traumatic stress with wounded warriors who were coming back at Walter Reed Army Medical Center with um, from uh, uh, the Iraq and the Afghan war. So started doing a piece of research that ended up being so successful they immediately hired the teacher that I had trained who then ended up teaching ongoing classes to wounded warriors and has been for many years both when Walter Reed was there and then at the Centers of Excellence and then now we're at many VA centers and clinics and hospitals around the uh, United States and other facilities when we were engaged in the original research Funny enough, the the military came to me and said, would you lose the name Yoga Nidra because we don't know what to do with this name? Would you Mm -hmm. name it something else? Mm -hmm. So I came up with the name Integrative Restoration, Integrative because it helps integrate the psychological components of our life, and Restoration because it restores us to that deep sense of well-being that's innate to all of us, but it brings it to the surface. And then the cute acronym I-REST, for integrative and rest for restoration, but it's helping us kind of come to a deep restfulness. And the military said we love the name, and then we did the research, and then they came back to us a a year or so later, and they said, you know what, we like the research, we like what you're doing, you can call it Yoga Nidra. (laughs) So we call it now Integrative Restoration, I-Rest, Yoga Nidra.
0: So you mentioned that this researcher, who so fortuitously happened to be in the class that day, did the research with you and that it was so successful. So tell me about that. In what way, what did you see improving with the participants in the class?
1: We used an assessment tool looking at post-traumatic stress where the cutoff line, so someone would be subclinical, in other words, they wouldn't say they had clinical PTSD, was 40 and the top line was 80. And all the people in our study that we worked with were in the high 70s, so they had very dramatic post-traumatic stress clinically. At the end of our study, all those subjects were under 40 except for one who was hovering right at the line of 40. So we had tremendous results with our initial group. It was a small sample, so we couldn't say it was statistically significant, but it was significant enough that they recognized the potential. And since then, we've been doing multiple studies and getting tremendous uh, results, some very significantly statistically for working with post-traumatic stress, chronic pain, insomnia, sleep issues, and other issues that we find people coming out of military with post-traumatic stress have.
0: It's very exciting and hopeful. I read some of the transcripts of veterans that were in a study in San Francisco of iREST, and part of what was so moving to me is these were not people who were sort of inclined toward yoga, but the clinic had really encouraged them to look at alternative means. Some of them were actually Vietnam vets, so they'd lived with PTSD for many years. And what I was reading is that it wasn't only helpful with some of the, the things we think of, you know, as diagnostic of PTSD, like hypervigilance or difficulty sleeping, difficulty relaxing, uh, numbed out emotions. But I was also reading that it was helping some of the guys who had trouble with kind of rage attacks. We, we see this often, you know, there's so, so much anger at so much that has happened that they've witnessed and been part of and that they were describing that it actually had a remarkable beneficial effect in reducing, raising the threshold to angry outbursts.
1: You know, I'll give you an example. We had one fellow who reported he had tremendous rage and would often come out on the road, and he had been known to... uh, be cut off by a car or a trucker, and he'd actually get into fist fights. He'd pull off the side of the road with them and get into altercations. And he said one day a trucker cut him off, and he went into this kind of scenario that he was used to that he was going to pull this guy off and beat him up. And the truck pulled left into a parking lot, and he said every muscle in his body was wanting to go left, and his hands turned his car to the right. And he said in that moment... He knew that the eye rest was working because it was interrupting that natural reactivity in him, his anger, and he was able to calm down and take a right-hand turn rather than that left into the parking lot. And he said it was really his inner resource that in that moment had been so embedded through the practice, it was remembering him. Because what we find is, in moments of outburst of anger, the hippocampus is hijacked by the amygdala. People are out of control with the anger. But if that inner resource is there, it comes in automatically and takes a person in a different direction.
0: So in other words, if you practice yoga nidra enough times, eventually it will become automatic.
1: It becomes automatic, and then we don't have to think about it. We just see that it's, it's its own thing and helping us in circumstances.
0: So I want to ask you about a particular part of Yoga Nidra because I've listened to several of your CDs, Richard, which I really enjoyed, and I want to make sure we protect a little time at the end. Actually, I'm going to invite you to, to lead us into the beginning of Yoga Nidra to get a taste of it. But before we go there, I'm really struck that one of the things you do is you invite people to notice the body sensation or the experience of opposites. Yes, And I'd love to have you tell me a little bit about why you do that. And then I want to ask you about a very particular opposite pairing that you use.
1: Opposites are particular to our practice of yoga nidra. Uh, whenever somebody has an emotion, it's always paired with its opposite, whether we're aware of it or not. Happiness and sadness, anger and a sense of peace or courage, uh, hopelessness, and a sense of um, engaged action. What we do is often people are stuck in one of these negative opposites, so we encourage them to feel what the potential of its opposite might be, so to find, uh, say, a sense of peace in their body and then come back to the feeling of anger and then come back to the feeling of peace, then the anger, and then to hold both simultaneously, which is interesting because the mind can't do this. So when a person is holding opposites, it could be even the opposite of feeling one hand and the other hand, thinking begins to stop. It opens up a portal, and sometimes we'll see a new understanding will flood into the body, and a person comes to a deeper synthesis, integration, and spontaneously, the negative, whether it was a thought or emotion, just dissolves and they find themselves in a completely different state of affairs. It's a very powerful but very simple intervention.
0: It sounds to me like uh, when you say the mind can't do it. When I was practicing with your CDs to prepare, there is a moment of feeling like, I'm failing at this, you know, I can't get it right. And how do you help people sort of stick with it?
1: classes are very instrumental in having a mentor or a teacher who can help you see that's the mind saying, I'm not doing it right, but look at the impact in your life and you can see actually you're doing it perfectly. And it's the result that when people start seeing it, like the Vietnam vets, they'll say it's the first time I've been sleeping through the night since Vietnam. When they actually see the result then they come fully on board and Mm -hmm. luckily they can see those results in the first day where they go to sleep they have a great night's sleep we had one fellow who had gone to get an mri and it triggered his ptsd he came to our group that afternoon we taught him the inner resource some of this body sensing with opposites he called the hospital up he went right back into the same machine, and he said he left that night feeling victorious Mm. because he was in control of his post-traumatic stress. It wasn't in control of him.
0: What a wonderful story. And there's
1: a a wonderful immediacy of the the effect often.
0: So I want to ask you one last question before we go into our own brief yoga nidra. And that is, I was really struck. As you know, this show is about reducing stigma, and I'm particularly interested in creating a respectful place to talk about subjects that are associated with shame or vulnerability. And I was really interested, in you work with shame as one of those pairs of opposites, and you paired shame with potency. And yeah. I'd love to hear about how you chose potency as the opposite of shame, because that intrigued me, but also what you notice about, because shame is of course such a deep part of trauma, H- how you notice that shifting in the people you work with.
1: I take a view that shame, guilt, blame, any kind of these judgments that we can enter into, in a way are degraded wisdom, and they have intelligence in them when we're able to welcome them in, feel them, and contemplate their opposites. Shame often leads to a sense of collapse and impotency or helplessness or Mm -hmm. failure, and its opposite is actually an engaged action which might be just standing still but there's a sense of vitality and potency in it and so what we came to see in working with many people as they encountered and worked through their shame and came through the other side of it they recaptured a sense of their aliveness their energy and they told us we feel potent and powerful now And the paradox is that many people come back from war feeling helpless because they couldn't do as much as they could have done to save their friends. As they go through our process and refine that sense of potency, they also come to the conclusion that I was helpless. There are many things that I couldn't do. But now it's from a different perspective. It's a helplessness where they realize I did the best that I knew how and the situation was just what it was. But they come to that now with a sense of their heart open, a sense of ability, and moving back into the world with that recaptured sense of aliveness and potency versus the shame which tends to lead to collapse.
0: Right. So there's such a movement from helplessness as sign of my weakness to helplessness as the statement of the real condition, of reality.
1: Yeah, and and what mm. we do see, and I love when it happens, shame, guilt, blame, they start to drop away, and people come to much deeper authentic movements in their own life where they're not carrying that burden, and now they're able to really re-engage in life and move forward.
0: Just give us a very brief taste. If I was there right now lying on my mat, because that's probably how I would start, Give me a sense sure. of what so it. Sure, I'll might give be you like. a
1: little two minute taste. Take a moment and just let your senses open. So register the sounds that are around you in the room or your environment. Feel the touch of air on your skin. The sense of the surface that's supporting you, a chair, a the floor, whatever. And the felt sense of your body. So you might sense the tension or softness that's present in your jaw, your shoulder, shoulder blades, the feeling in the palms of your hands. And take a moment and just Feel the left hand, just the, the surface of the palm itself, just the actual sensations, left hand. Then come over to the right hand, just sensation, and then feel both hands simultaneously, just the sensation. And as you're doing this, sensing your body, how it's breathing, take a moment and just welcome whatever emotions, thoughts are present, so we're not trying to change or get rid of anything. Sensing the body breathing, feeling if your two hands. sensations around you. And tonight, when you're falling asleep, do this. As you're lying in bed, feel your left hand, your right hand, let your senses open, and let yourself be carried into a nice, restful sleep. So that's about a two-minute little Yoga Nidra, with emotions and thoughts, had we more time. But the first portal and entryway is really just sensing, sensing the body, sensing the and welcoming whatever is present.
0: It almost seems like hypnotic suggestion, like having done this now several times, I, I start to feel like my body just falls right back into a groove, like you've almost greased the skids through practicing it.
1: It's true. We are trying to create a new um, reference point in the body, so they just sense their mouth and they go right into the, to the protocol.
0: I want to quickly ask you, what is your website so people can find out more?
1: The website is www.irest.us, I-R-E-S-T.us, and we have all of our research up there and portals for our classes and teachers around the, the world.
0: Richard Miller thank you so much for being my guest today on safe space
1: and thank you for having me A delight
0: thank you to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound Maurice Lennon for the music and also to Deb Cook who's been my consultant to this series on yoga and healing Deb is a Kripalu yoga teacher here in Portland she founded yoga in Maine and leads workshops and classes here and actually all over if you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety if you'd like to forward it to a veteran that you know that you think might benefit, or to a practitioner at a VA, please go to the website at www.safespaceradio.com where you can find it and all the other shows we've done over the years. You can also download us from iTunes, you can like us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to get a weekly link to that week's show. Coming up next is Local Solutions.